0: Hello, welcome to Let Fear Bounce. This is Kim Langley, your host. I'm also an author and a freelance writer. Today, I want you to sit back and relax and listen in as I chat with a beautiful young lady from Australia. Her name is Wendy Jenkins, and in her 20s, she was a double lung recipient. She has got quite the journey to share, folks, so grab your cup of coffee, sit back, relax, and let's listen into to the show. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to Let Fear Bounce. This is your host, Kim Lingling. Today I have with me the lovely Wendy Jenkins. She is a leading certified resilience coach and double lung transplant recipient. And she is a living example of resilience. Using neuroscience based resilience to deal with life changing challenges, which include her double lung transplant, PTSD, severe depression, inability to have children a short life expectancy and ongoing chronic health issues wow do we have a lot to talk about wendy welcome welcome to let fear bounce i am so happy to have you on the show today
1: thank you kim and uh, yeah it does when somebody reads that to me it does actually sound a lot doesn't it but uh Yeah, I'm in a good place now, and hopefully I can share some of that with your listeners, and uh, yeah, tell them that um, yeah, just no matter what you're facing, you can always overcome.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I I neglected to mention that you are coming to us today from Australia, so you're a day ahead. We had to we had to bounce our times around to make sure that you were awake.
1: <laughs> I'm not a morning person. Um yeah. and on top of that, I have some drugs which uh, make me feel a bit queasy. So imagine having morning sickness for 14 years. That's that would that would like.
0: be yeah, that would not be fun. So well, hey, no. since that's what you brought up, let's just start off with that.
1: Okay, great. <laughs> um, well, yeah, look, it's it's been a big it's been a big journey and you know, if if you'd asked me, you know, a couple of decades ago, if I'd be anywhere near what, what I'm like now, um, I, I would have said definitely not. I mean, it's, I always think things are sent your way for a reason and everything you go through culminates in, you know, in good eventually if you can turn it that way. But yeah, I, I uh, was going along the usual path, I suppose, that many of us do and I'd uh, gone through school and encouraged to go to university i met my wonderful husband and got married and then i decided after i got married that i should lose some weight i was the opposite of most females i looked at the wedding photos and went mm, i could drop a few kilos <laughs> i didn't do it beforehand so <clears throat> i decided to do that and Lost about ten kilos, but actually started feeling a lot worse. And I thought, oh, that's a bit odd that that's happening because it should be the other way around. And then I got uh, working back late one night uh, at work, and my car had been parked in the other car park. And so I thought, right, well, I'll I'll go and get that. And the lifts were out. So I thought, right, well, instead of getting stuck in the stairwell um, late at night, I'll walk up the ramp. So I decided to do that. It was about seven levels and I remember touching the car door handle and then the next thing I knew, I was lying on my back looking up at the roof of the car park and I'd sort of fallen along the side of the car and round the back and hit my head on one of the bullards that the car had backed up to and my bag was everywhere and I actually thought I'd been mugged initially and then I realized I'd fainted and I had blood everywhere and bruises and was a bit of a mess uh, did the wrong thing by jumping in the car and driving home which you're not supposed to do after uh, having something like that happen and my husband at one look and went oh my god what happened to you so yeah so to make a very long story short I turned up at the GP the next day and she agreed it wasn't normal that, you know, I'd be more puff, losing weight and, and that this had happened. So I got fast tracked through a bunch of specialists and wound up at one of the big hospitals here in Melbourne, Australia, getting told I had two years to live unless I had a lung transplant.
0: Oh my goodness. Yeah. How, how old were you at that time?
1: I was in my late twenties and yeah, and, and I had otherwise been really healthy, like had never been in hospital for anything and very rarely even got a cold. I was, I thought, a very healthy person. <laughs> so yeah. it was a huge shock. Yeah. yeah.
0: Now is that, to, I mean, that's just, that's that's huge to have a double lung transplant and then to be told that you may only have, you know, two years to live in your 20s. Is that something that's that was genetic in your family or how did that
1: i mean is there a reason that it came about uh yeah no can't blame anyone i tried but no can't blame anyone (laughs) it was uh it was called um primary pulmonary hypertension basically it, it means that the arteries between your heart and lung get really narrow and the blood comes out of your heart heading towards your lungs, but it can't get through like it normally does, so it kind of puts pressures back on the heart. And they said one day I would have just had a heart attack and that would have been that. Um, so, yeah, very random one in a million odd thing. that. And, and even today they're not 100% sure why I got it, but I had had a couple of DVTs from flying to Europe in the past, which they'd treated, uh, and it turns out I had a few... Amyloids, which is like a buildup of proteins in the in the lungs as well, which they think maybe caused some scarring issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, they didn't really, they don't, yeah, really know. But uh, they did diagnose it thankfully in time.
0: Oh my, yeah. So your fainting spell was a blessing.
1: Yeah, well, that's right, and I, I now am at a, at a point where I, I almost challenge people to give me a situation where I can't find a silver lining, because no matter what happens, there's always something good that comes out of it, and that was the case in that situation. So, yeah, I, I was lucky in a way that uh, that that happened.
0: Right. Oh my goodness. Yeah. What a journey. So you had a double lung transplant.
1: Yeah. So, and this will this will make me sound really really naive I actually I hadn't really thought much about my lungs over the years and I just thought I had a lung (laughs) so it's a bit of a surprise to me when they said oh no you've got a double lung (laughs) I know that sounds it sounds nuts now when I say it like I mean I am an intelligent person but my I remember my husband and my dad just looking at me as if I had gone mad (laughs) Um, but yeah generally in Australia (laughs) we do the double lung transplants because you you generally will get a better result but i do know quite a few who have just had the single for whatever reason Uh, and often what happens it's quite interesting when you see on the x-ray the one part that's maybe their old part of their lung um, might shrink a bit and then the new lung grows and become and sort of takes over and becomes the main um, lung that works so, yeah, you can see some really odd ones. Occasionally they might have their full lung removed and they'll just have the one lung in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously they need to be extra careful looking after that lung because there's no backup. Right. Uh, but, yeah, it's yeah generally done that way. I know in other countries they sometimes just do the one because then they can, you know, help other people too. But um, it's that balance of, you know, do you give people the support of a new lung but give them longer? Right. um or you know but you know they they're coming a long way in medicine technology and the way they treat things so just cuz you have a single lung doesn't mean you know you're not going to live as long
0: right. nowadays well, yeah. my my uh my grandfather had one of his lungs removed mm-hmm. uh, he's 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 been he's been gone for years now um and mm. it was years and years ago that he had one removed i think yeah. i was maybe i was still a teenager and i'm in my 50s now so that's mm. how long ago it was but he lived twenty years. He lived well into mm-hmm. his eighties with um, yeah. one lung. Yeah, and back then, you know. So just think of all the advances now. I mean, it's just yeah, it's amazing. It truly is amazing what what uh, people can do, and yeah. the doctors and all of those that are that are blessed with those gifts to yeah to be able to do that. So you you are you said for fourteen years now.
1: Yes. So um, what happened? So I got um, told I had two years um, to live unless I had the transplant. But in the meantime, what they decided to do was uh, run a bunch of uh, trial medications through me to see if I'd take to any of those. It was a long shot, but they thought let's give it a go. So that probably happened for about or oh, eighteen months to two years. Um, I was even on Viagra for a while. So <laughs> they they put me on. It's a funny story because. Viagra was initially designed to help open up blood vessels and then they found out it had a good side effect for males. It wasn't doing anything for females. (laughs) But, um, yes, I was on, yes, three tablets of that a day to open up my blood vessels. I had blood thinners to thin the blood and blood pressure tablets to slow that all down. And they kind of kept me in status quo for a little while, but then eventually they said, we just can't keep doing that. We're going to have to put you on the transplant list. And it was the three-day in hospital getting tested left, right, and centre of everything in your body um, to, to work out what they were dealing with, I suppose, so you, they could do a really good match with the donor. Uh, and then I waited for about 22 months. So I was getting quite anxious by them because they told me two years. I'd already used up about 18 months of that with this trial stuff, and now it was another 22 months. And I was like, oh, yeah. but eventually I did get the call, very lucky and then the other part of lungs well transplants in general a lot of people don't know is that they're not necessarily going to last forever right. because your body's constantly trying to reject them and your immune system as a result is kept very low um, you're susceptible to cancers and respiratory illnesses and all sorts of things so your body your body's yeah, you know, really battling the whole way through. And so in Australia, and I think also in the States and Canada and UK, other places, the average is about seven years post-lung transplant in terms of life expectancy. So... I'm obviously lucky I'm I'm double that now. I'm at 14 years, which is amazing. And I know people who are at the far end of the average. So there's there's a gentleman here who's into his 31st year now. Um, so I figure, well, someone has to be at the far end. So why not me? (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's what an average is. (laughs) Yeah. So even though that seven years is talked about, uh, I just kind of put it aside and go, Oh, well, that's just the average, you know, someone's going to live longer than that. So that's my view.
0: So at such a young age going through such a massive, massive transition in life. I mean, my goodness, that's just (laughs) completely (laughs) unexpected for someone in their twenties, obviously. What is it that you fell back on personally within your heart or your soul or whatever that helped you to just keep going because that had to have been just a slam to your to your mental uh your mental well-being Mm -hmm. you know not only your physical well-being but your mental well-being as well what is it that you Mm -hmm. that you leaned towards or fell into that that just helped you keep going
1: yeah, well, to be honest, at the start, I really did struggle. Uh, I guess I had been so assumptive that I would be heading in a certain direction that I'd have kids and blah, blah, blah. to be told I couldn't have kids and that I had the short life expectancy really threw me in a spin. And, and like you mentioned in the intro, I ended up getting diagnosed with PTSD and severe depression, which is not uncommon um, in people that go through major operations. And, you know, all the things I was dealing with Uh, so yeah I did struggle initially I ended up getting some support from a psychologist because I just thought you know this is not something I'm I I know how to deal with so I need some help and she spent a lot of time focusing on I guess the new the new Wendy for want of a better word I now call her Wendy (laughs) 2.0 which is (laughs) looking at okay I can't be what I thought I was going to be so what's going to be the new me and trying to um, come to terms with that's the path I'm now on and it was a complete I was going this way now I'm going this way like it wasn't even a slight variation it was Mm -hmm. completely the other direction um so I think it was a combination of that and then it was I'm I'm very much of around self-help so you know I read books I listened to um people talking I Um, I chatted to people who I respected. I I sought out support from people who'd gone through other things. Uh, And it was along that journey uh, that I came across the resilience training that I ended up doing. And it was really timely because I needed to take ownership of myself. I think sometimes you rely a lot when you're in the medical system on the doctors and the nurses and everyone else to kind of get you through but you really do need to take control of your own health and that's what i decided to do but it was more my mental health that i sort of stepped up and took control of and yeah and that that was the difference me feeling like i had some control again because Mm -hmm. i was going to direct how my life was now going to go
0: so you you use neuroscience neuroscience based resilience Tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, I got thinking about why some parts of me were good at the resilient side and others weren't, and it took me back to my childhood because I had had eight different schools growing up because my father's work made us sort of move around a lot and all up, including, you know, time spent with my husband moving around. I've moved 20 times so far with another potentially coming. So, uh, you know, I got... A lot of I know, people just look at me like I'm crazy, but <laughs> um, I can do it in my sleep now. And I actually at one stage was, was doing that professionally as part of the, the company I was with. I was helping expatriates uh, relocate. So, you know, that the good of that came that I had experienced. So uh, anyway, yeah, the, um, the neuroscience side of it came because I was really interested in what was going up in my head because mm. I was thinking, well, How is it that some people always seem to have their act together and seem to be able to deal with all sorts of things and I want to be that person and what's going on and why are they different? And I realised that it was being able to control and tap into your brain and understand what's going on in your body when you're dealing with stress and adversity that will actually and again it's a control thing I wanted to control my brain and my body <laughs> so I had some semblance of you know I've got this uh and yeah and then learning all about it was amazing I just got really passionate about it because I thought well this is a not just for dealing with what I'm dealing with if you can understand why your body works with certain things and and how you can react and ways you can neurohack your brain so that you get better response and efficiencies and all sorts of things, it can really change a whole heap of things in your life. So, yeah, so I just got caught up in that and and now that's what I do and I help others with it as well. So
0: are you you trained or certified in NLP?
1: I have actually um, done NLP, yes, so I do have a certification in that, but this is actually a specific neuroscience-based certification I've done in resilience. And it was put together by a couple of psychologists and learning specialists Uh, so it's deliberately focused on resilience and uh, all science-based and all the reasons why and as part of that um, yeah it has psychometric testing so i can test my clients and see where they are in terms of the the six domains of resilience i teach And yeah, and then helping them through that with an online platform and some technology and and then, you know, reaching out through webinars and things. But it's um, important in my, I guess, I always say it's really worth um, testing where someone's at to where they end up because you can say, oh, they're better, but I like to see the data. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, the the program I I work with uh, actually uh, tests that before and after. And yeah, they, people just find it. it's something that you can learn and keep for life as well. So, sure. yeah, it's a really useful skill.
0: I, I do find it fascinating. I have been just reading up on NLP and different things like that because your mindset yeah. is huge. It's huge. Mm. And you had mentioned earlier, I, I take notes as you talk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, go for it. You had mentioned earlier about, you know, how you were, you were, at that point where you were struggling, and you're going, "Well, I want to be like that person." It seems like they have, they all have it to, they have it all together. And I have found that no one has it all together, but they wear really good
1: masks. Yes, and I would totally right. agree with that. And so I now look at people who've got it all together, and I think, do they really? Because right. they're yeah. like that, they're like that duck, you know, that paddles madly underneath the surface exactly. of the water. They're actually just really good at putting on, yeah, like you said, the mask and and putting on a good far front. Uh, and often they're the ones that, if they don't get the help down the track, just implode or explode or whatever they do because they get burnt out and they um, they leave it too long before they actually do something about it. So in a way, they're the more worrying people.
0: No, I agree. I agree. I am I am one that lives with PTSD myself. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I locked all kinds of stuff away for a good 12 years. Mm-hmm. And you used the word implode or explode. You used both those words. That happened. You yeah, know, all right. kinds of big life things happened to me, and I found myself yeah. on my knees on my living room floor thinking I was going crazy.
1: Yeah, that's so, yeah, not good to hear. But, yes, yeah, so you do get it. Um, oh, oh, I get it completely. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, and, and I was, it's... I was one of
0: those ones that people always yep. said, Oh, you're so confident and strong yeah. and, you know, yeah. successful and you accomplish this and this. And I, yep. I would always just say, Oh, well, thank you. And I'm, then I would
1: think they have no idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's right. Because you do, your skill becomes hiding it and, um it's not yeah it's not a healthy place to be as you said and um you know look I hear it from lots of people I remember even the social worker at the hospital said I didn't think you'd be the type and I was (laughs) like well I mean that's another story but you know it's uh you know people I suppose made the assumption because I hadn't had things go wrong in the past that I'd be able to you know for some reason deal with things but um and it was a as you probably found, a bit of a shock to your system too—that you weren't this person that could handle these things. And
0: right, yeah. So in your case, in your case, you were very young.
1: Yeah, and even though you think you're, you know, a, a woman of the world in your late twenties, you're not really. <laughs> you no, <just> got <laughs> a lot of learning to do still, which I've since discovered. Now I'm late forties yeah there's a lot of living still and and wisdom that comes from you know going through 30s and 40s now and if anything you know the wisdom I've picked up from all the stuff I've dealt with uh been invaluable and a lot of people may not even reach that until you know later on in their life so yeah it does change the way you look at things
0: oh definitely definitely yeah. so all of this that has happened in your life which is obviously life altering and you've had to change your whole Hmm. path and plan and for whatever reason, that's where you're at. Do you take what you have learned? I know that you said that, you know, you have clients that you work with your neuroscience um, based resilience programs and stuff, but outside of that in your, in your personal life, what is it, or do you, do you give back to people or have, have you changed as a person completely with more compassion or you're able to see those who are struggling much easier. You have you're much more empathetic. Do you find that now?
1: Yeah, I do. And I was commenting about that the other day to a friend because I think during my twenties, um, you know, maybe it's that age as well, you're very focused on yourself and your career mm-hmm. and your, you know, your marriage and whatever you whatever you've got planned and and other people, you know, whilst you you know, I had a great group of friends and everything, um, we were all very focused on where we were headed and, you know, our plans and 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 it wasn't that I was um, self-absorbed or anything. It's just that I didn't I didn't really give time to that. Mm-hmm. And now I think what happens is when I meet somebody, I really am a lot more interested in them and their story and what they've been through. And, yeah, I find humans fascinating the way we can cope with things more than we think we can. And, and everyone has a story of adversity, even if it's a small one. So I learn so much from people when I hear their stories. And, uh, yeah, and I'll ask them a billion questions, probably drive them mad, but <laughs> I just really want to know how they're thinking. And it it because I now know how the brain works and that, I just find it really interesting to get into someone's brain by listening to what they have to say. So, I'm,
0: yeah, I'm the same. I, I, am, I am a big question asker and I like, <laughs> and I've yeah. also... Just from what I've went through in my own personal experience, I'm able to recognize it in others, Mm. even if they've ever shared it or not, you know, it's just, something. it's like an empathetic connection or something that you get. Um, and and I'm, I'm glad that I have that because I strongly feel that if you recognize someone who is struggling, even though they've never admitted it, let Mm. them know that you see yes you know let them know that you see it and you recognize it you might not be able to personally help them in their situation Mm. but just acknowledging that they're hurting could make such a huge difference in someone's life
1: oh definitely I, I agree I remember I was lying in the ward after having had my transplant and the focus is very much on getting on with things and you know the next stage and let's do this and ticking off boxes and whatnot and Um, And I was just feeling so miserable about everything. And, you know, they damaged vocal cords and my vagus nerves. I had problems talking and, you know, all sorts of digestive issues and whatnot. I remember one of the nurses just looking at me and saying, and I'll probably get a bit bit emotional now about it even now. It's like 14 years later. And she was like, she said, it's really hard, isn't it? And I went, yep, it is. And, um, yeah, it was just that acknowledgement, like you said, of, um I'm glad we're not on camera because I ugly cry <laughs> but um <laughs> uh yeah it was just that acknowledgement from her that what I was going through was hard and tough because no one had actually said that and that was a turning point for me because I went you know what it is and that's okay that I'm feeling this way because I think there there wasn't enough a focus on the mental journey at that point right. um so, yeah, so I, I get what you're saying, and and what I find is that people open up to me about all sorts of things, sometimes things they haven't even told their partner, and sometimes, you know, I struggle a bit because I'm like, "Oh, I don't know how to deal with this, but right. I realize, like you said, they really just want someone to talk to, so you just listen and and that's enough often. Um, but yeah, it's yeah, it can be really powerful just saying those few words.
0: yes there there's yeah. <laughs> there's tremendous power there's tremendous yes. power in encouraging words Tremendous yes, definitely power. yeah yes. and i i'm a i'm a writer and an author and so words mm-hmm. are huge to me and mm. we have to use them use them with with uh with love we have yes. to listen with love and kindness, that is for sure.
1: Yeah, that's right. Definitely, because, you know, one, I mean, you look back over your life and you, and I'm sure you're the same and you're listening same, that, you know, there's something that somebody said to you and the impact that that has had all these years later, whether it's positive or negative. uh And I look back and I cringe at some of the things I've probably said <laughs> in the past. But, you know, that's all learning. Uh And I'm, yeah, a lot more careful now how I respond to people too because I know how much um power that has right yeah yeah
0: (laughs) so I have a question for you have have you thought have you thought of writing a book about your journey
1: um I have actually and it is in the pipeline to do something about it uh I just need to get the angle because there's so many different ways I could approach it uh my husband's written a book and and I was quite involved with the process of that as well. So um, I ended up doing all the learning how to self-publish and, you know, right. ISBN numbers and, you know, layouts and, and all that fun stuff. He did all the, <laughs> the content. I ended up with all the, the hard work. Right. Uh, <laughs> but in saying that, again... How good was that because now I know how to do my own book that's uh, great. so you know uh, so yes yeah, so and no, i I definitely have and I just want to I suppose where I'm coming from is what's going to be the thing that's going to be I'm going to be most passionate about writing because uh, yeah, I, I've learned that if you want to if you want the book to be a good book um, you need to be passionate about it and all the way through it too so uh yeah so just once I get going I'll type quickly but it's just uh yeah getting my head around that but yep definitely in the pipeline
0: when you when you get that book out yeah you have to absolutely let me know
1: oh for sure yeah absolutely I will because definitely. I will definitely be having you back on oh well that would be very good I'd be very happy about that because um Look, you know, I think everyone has a story to share and um, I think that's really important. I mean, we all have a book in us, I think. Yes. Uh, so, you know, some of us have several. <laughs> we, have, we have a series. Yeah. Books, maybe <laughs> a library even. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, someone said to me the other day, well, why don't you just pick one thing and then you can write another one? I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. So, yeah, so stay tuned. Yeah, I like
0: how you said, you know, it, that we could be a series or probably just a library. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I love I love that visual. I'm a library of stories. Yeah,
1: stories. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Well, we are our chapters and our oh, yeah, yeah. Our, our paragraphs, our quotes. You know, it's um yeah, that's really what it is. And humans love storytelling. It's uh, one of the ingrained things. It's actually built into our bodies in that we love hearing and connecting with others. And you know, if you go back to the basics, it's all about trying to find a partner and, you know, um, produce children and all that kind of thing. But in it's also a support network too. So the more you connect with others and hear their stories and share yours, uh, your brain actually loves that. So, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I agree.
0: As a writer, yeah. I agree. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, that's right. So, and that's,
0: that's one of yeah. the reasons I started Let Fear Bounce, um, mm-hmm. because I know that there's so many stories out there that need to be out there. Mm-hmm. And in the world that we've been living in in the last, you know, a year, yeah. there's fear everywhere. Yes. And I'm thinking Definitely. we can't we can't let ourselves sink into that. We we have to. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, what's this? We if I don't do mm-hmm. it, you know, who's gonna? So yeah. I'm. I just said to myself, well, I think I'll start a podcast. I had no idea yeah. what I was doing. I just woke yeah. up one morning. <laughs> And said, "As you do, <laughs> I'm going to do a podcast." And 25 yeah. episodes later, I'm
1: here. I am. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true. I mean, fear is, I mean, it's it's your body's way of protecting you, but it gets out of control so quickly. And you know, they talk, you know, obviously talk about the fear and flight scenarios. I throw a third one in there, which is the freeze scenario, which I think is what a lot of us has been through, especially you know during COVID, where you can't make a decision. You know, do you run? Do you do you fight? Um, no, you just freeze and don't do anything uh, and get into that mode. And that can happen with all sorts of stuff. You know, you might have grand plans for a business or a project or you know um, a relationship, but you you just get so much fear happening, and it's it it can just yeah freeze you from doing anything efficiently. So are yes. a lot of a lot of what I do is you know, working on people's fears and getting them to understand why it's happening and then also how they can control it because you shouldn't, uh, we actually probably only can control about roughly 10% of our brain, but that is plenty. That's, you know, more than we would need to deal with most things and, and uh, yeah, you can trick your brain into all sorts of things. So, for example, at the back, down in the back of your neck, right down on the um, where your neck meets your shoulders, Mm -hmm. there's a thing called a pre-Botsinger complex and what it does is it actually uh, monitors how your breathing rate's going. So what it tells the body then is if you're breathing really quickly and panicky and whatnot, it's like, oh, there must be something we need to, fa- you know, face or run from or, right. and it, you know, starts shooting cortisol and adrenaline and all these things through our bodies <clears throat> to try and get us ready for whatever we have to face. Right. And you can actually trick that into thinking that you're not under attack by just doing a couple of simple little breathing exercises. So you can actually neurohack the way your body naturally responds and break that cycle like a bit of a reset, I suppose. Um, So there's all sorts of things you can do that then you are more in control of your body than it is of you. But fear, I mean, fear of what others think is probably one of the biggest ones, I think. Uh, even It might even be thing something you think. So say someone says, oh, I've got a fear of public speaking. It's not necessarily that that is the fear. It's the underlying fear of what people would think. Right. Because if you were told you get up on stage there and everyone's going to 100% love your presentation, they're going to clap at the end, they're going to think you're the best speaker ever, and I 100% promise you that it's going to go swimmingly well, you won't have a fear of public speaking. You'll be up on the stage going, oh, easy. Whereas <laughs> It's the fear of people judging you and what are they thinking of you and are you even valid to be up on that stage and what if you say the wrong thing and they think you're stupid or you know that's the real underlying fear. And I think as soon as people can not worry what everyone else thinks about them, because seriously, we're all worrying about ourselves, not other people. Uh, that can just change a whole heap of things and get rid of a whole heap of stress and uh, yeah, so there's there's some really. Yeah, some really good things you can do to to beat all sorts of worries and mm. uh, yeah.
0: That's wonderful. Yeah, and I'm I'm going to have to have you back on to talk more just about that.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. There, there are like all the kinds. Thing. There are all kinds yeah. of things we can talk about here, Wendy. That's right. Now we've got a library each. We can you know unpack <laughs> now that. Yeah. Now
0: yeah. that we realize we're both libraries. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: So, yeah, very happy to. Oh,
0: I I definitely (laughs) want to have you back on sometime in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being with me today and sharing your story. And definitely when you are ready to get that book out into the world, you make sure that you get in touch with me because we will definitely have you on and promote that because your story is definitely, I know regardless of whether someone's out there with a, a lung transplant, anything physically Like, you know, it's traumatic Mm. and Mm. life changing. Your words and your story could be such a light, could be such a light to Mm. so many people. And I know it will be when you get that book done. So I'm really looking forward to that. So (laughs) don't forget, remember, contact Kim at Let Fear Bounce.
1: (laughs) I will, I will. I'm I'm very good at following through on my words. So if I say I will, I will.
0: (laughs) Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being on Let Fear Bounce (laughs) with me today. I have truly enjoyed our time together. It was an absolute blessing to get to know you. Yeah. Likewise. Thanks, Kim. Take care. You too.